Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet political sociologist and professor Larry Diamond, journalist Amanda Little, and author and U.S. Marine Corps veteran Elliot Ackerman. Each of these authors tackle necessary and timely subjects in their audiobooks, from the alarming rise of anti-democratic politics around the world to climate change. Listeners will come away with a new understanding of the world around them after hearing from these authors. Plus, find out why one author would cast Will Ferrell to read his audiobook. Enjoy. Hello, this is Larry Diamond, author of Ill Winds, Saving Democracy from Russian Rage, Chinese Ambition, and American complacency. I wrote this book out of deepening concern about the growing threats to democracy at home and abroad. I knew we had a very serious problem when we not only saw Brexit pass in June of 2016, a really serious authoritarian populist, Rodrigo Duterte, elected president in the Philippines in 2016, But I really, as I say in the book, never imagined that it could happen here in the United States and that a politician who really, I think, is not only a deeply illiberal figure but has some pretty serious authoritarian instincts could actually win a presidential election in the United States. After that happened, I knew of several other people who were kind of moving forward briskly to publish books on the challenges facing democracy here in the U.S., and globally. And I just decided to wait. I thought maybe I was a little bit alarmist. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad with Trump as president. Maybe his bark had been much worse than his bite and the institutions would constrain him and he would become more pragmatic in the interest of governing effectively. And what has happened is that that has not been the case in my view. By late 2017, it was clear to me that we had a really seriously deepening crisis of democracy in the United States at the same time that the wheels were beginning to come off the democratic movement for democracy around the world. Of course, I wanted to inform people, but I also wanted to move people. I think this is a moment in our history when people cannot be innocent bystanders. They really need to come forward and mobilize and vote and organize and really try to reclaim their democracy from the very dangerous direction in which I think it is now heading. So I also hope I've inspired some of the listeners to do that. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be arduous. Let me say, even if you lecture for a living, which I do, it is so much more challenging to have to read hour after hour, day after day, even your own precious words. It requires tremendous focus, discipline. I think a little bit of passion helps, but too much passion is obviously counterproductive. And I'll just say, to the world of audiobook files, I have gained so much deep respect for anybody who narrates one of these books. It probably looks easy and sounds easy, but it is not. 
I realized I had trouble pronouncing basic words that looked fine to me on paper, but are not so easy to pronounce in the middle of a sentence full of lots of other big words with lots of syllables and so on, like systems or citizens or something like that. When you just say it, one word, citizens, it's not that difficult, but if you got a lot of big complicated words with you know a lot of consonants or S's or L's or something, it becomes a little bit more challenging. These are some of the things you don't realize until you start reading a book, not to mention your own book out loud. I wanted to narrate this book myself because it's a very personal book. It is a book by a political scientist. It is a work, I think, of scholarly analysis in places. But I make no pretense that it is simply a work of scholarship. I am trying to rally people to the concern I think they need to have as democratic citizens in order to become active in a way that I believe is really imperative in the era we are living in if we're going to defend and reclaim our own democracy and many of the democracies that are really at risk now around the world. So to the extent I succeeded in moving people a little bit or conveying some of the passion that I really do feel for these issues and the moral imperatives that are before us now, I'm proud of that, and I hope that listeners will respond. If I wasn't going to record my own audiobook, I would love to have David McCullough do it, or John Meacham, or Ken Burns. These are three people whose voices I love and whose work I love. McCullough has produced a succession of absolutely amazing works on uh, American history and the great biography of Harry S. Truman, many of them narrated in his own voice, which is a very mellifluous and engaging voice. But look, <laughs> I don't think I would have had much success in signing up McCullough or John Meacham or Ken Burns. They have plenty of other work to do. I really listen to audiobooks all the time because I find it's a very pleasurable but also efficient way to read a book. I can do it while I'm walking my dog every afternoon or evening or doing chores around the house or whatever it might be. The last book I finished very recently was Clint Watts' Messing with the Enemy, which is an amazing account of his career and the way he's looking at the challenges of social media assaults on our democracy both by terrorists and by adversary states. I'm now reading Michelle Obama's extraordinary autobiography that is listening to it as an audiobook. And I must say, that again underscores what a great thing it is to have the author read her own book. You really get the sense of the person, the tone, the emotion. It's just all so much more vivid. Having listened to really dozens and dozens of audiobooks in the last few years, because it really is now the principal way that I consume books for pleasure, it's really been a privilege to be able to share my work by recording this audiobook. And I hope that my listeners have enjoyed it, and I hope it might move them to become active in defending our democracy and in realizing, as I said at the end of the book, that really nothing is to be taken for granted, that democracy is not a bystander activity, 
And when we take our democracy for granted, that's when we're at risk of losing it. This is Amanda Little. I wrote The Fate of Food because I really have been interested in the question of how to tell the story of climate change. You know, for 15, 20 years, I've been trying to look at this massive, sprawling, very complex topic of climate change, and I've been exploring it from lots of different angles. And I did a book on energy and how we got into such a huge reliance on fossil fuels and how we're going to get out of that. And the most interesting and intimate aspects of our energy landscape and our environmental landscape were really about food. What we eat and how much we spend on it will be really significantly affected by the pressures of climate change. So I wanted to explain that. I also wanted to explore what does sustainable food look like in the you know coming decades? How do we exactly define that? The definitions of sustainable food as defined by the sustainable food activists and advocates, Mark Bittman and Dan Barber and Alice Waters and all those guys, was pretty narrow in terms of the people that it was really relevant to, right? Like, I just could never really belong to the sustainable food movement because I wasn't a virtuous eater as much as some of my vegan backyard farming, chicken coop tending friends. And so I kind of thought like, can that really actually encompass foods produced with very high tech kind of methods and techniques? How do we sort of reconcile all these new food technologies that are coming online and all these old practices and traditions that people are trying to protect, where do we resolve those two kind of extremes in the approaches to food right now? So I felt like I had a lot of freedom in the way I tell the story because I was kind of looking at it from the outside in, not as someone with a sort of dog in the fight in the food debate, which made it a lot of fun to report. If I had to describe the experience of what it was like to record this audiobook in one word, it would be a relief. To be totally honest with you, I was really worried about rereading my book and feeling like it was already irrelevant because part of the challenge for me in reporting the story is that it's evolving all the time. Like, I kept wanting to add more stories and more characters to this book. I mean, half of the book I reported, you know, several years ago, and, and then I've been reporting it up to literally like weeks and days ago. So it's stretched across five years of research and travel and interviews and investigation. And it was very hard for me to stop writing the book because I felt like this story is still evolving and emerging. And the relief came because I guess I felt like it made sense the way the book evolved and that even the stories that I was beginning to track three, four you know, years ago are still relevant and alive and meaningful today. And yeah, there were definitely passages here and there that I thought, oh, and I should really update this or <laughs> wish I had been able to include this or that new detail. But I'm really grateful that I've had the chance to sort of reconnect with this process that I was a little worried I would feel didn't matter to me anymore or wasn't relevant now. Is there a word or phrase I didn't know how to pronounce? I would say there were at least, you know, in the range of like 50 to 75 words or phrases I didn't know how to pronounce. The reason is that I, for some reason, thought it was necessary to include a lot of like Latin species names in there, maybe to make it sound like I had some like legitimacy as a science writer. 
at one point, I think I put in four names of like very obscure algae species. I think some of those names may have had at least 20 characters in them because I like the idea that like these very esoteric things you've never heard of may actually become very relevant and important to our, you know, food future and our survival. And the book actually spans 11 countries and 13 states in terms of the reporting I did. So I did a lot of my reporting through translators and in places where I didn't speak the language. And remembering how to pronounce the names of, you know, sources I interviewed a couple of years ago was tricky. Yeah, it was hard to figure out those pronunciations, but I think we got most of them right. I do think this story, even though it's really hard for people to feel that climate change and, you know, food systems reform is exciting and immediate important, it really is. So it was really gratifying to record it in a way that felt like this story is gripping. I guess maybe I'm like a lot of people on that my voice just totally annoys me. And I, gosh, I hear it come back over the speakers and I just am mortified and I can't believe that people have to listen to my voice. But I somehow managed to like avoid that amount of self-loathing and just go with it and stay with this like gripping, you got to hear this kind of sound and rhythm for the 287 pages or so that we read. You know, like people say, if you could have dinner with anyone, I mean, maybe it would be, you know, Leonardo da Vinci or like Joan of Arc or something. But, you know, Jim Dale's up there for me. That guy, I love listening to that guy. I even have some things that he, like animal stories read by Jim Dale that are these really almost like nursery rhyme kind of stories about animals. And it is the most relaxing thing to hear that man do his thing, do his art. He is just magic. But yeah, his work on the Harry Potter books is just totally incredible. My favorite place to listen is definitely the car. I mean, I'm a New Yorker who lives in Nashville, Tennessee. I do not like cars. I mean, I love to drive, but, you know, ideally, you know, on like a big highway going through Utah or something. But I mean, traffic in like the suburbs of Nashville, Tennessee sucks. But if I have an audiobook on, in fact, and I do them on DVDs because I have an old car. I mean, I probably have, you know, at least six or 10 audiobooks in my car that my kids and I listen to when we're just going anywhere. It just makes driving bearable. Hi, this is Elliot Ackerman, author of Places and Names on War, Revolution, and Returning. I wrote my book because I wanted to show the connections that exist between people who fought in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as those who fought in the Arab Spring Wars, whether they were Arab or American. The one word I would use to describe recording my audiobook is tiring, but it was fun to go back through the book again. I realized I had trouble pronouncing everything, particularly anything with a V in it. <laughs> this is my fourth book, but I'm proud that I recorded it myself. It's a memoir, and it seemed right to record it on my own. And I'm excited that listeners will hear my voice, which I don't think is that bad. 
If I wasn't going to record my audio book, I think I would have Will Ferrell read it. Because it's kind of a depressing book, and I think he might lighten things up. The last audio book that I listened to that I loved was The Civil War by Shelby Foote, because it is completely immersive. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is, well, anywhere. I think that's the good thing about audiobooks. You can listen to them while you're folding laundry, on the subway, walking your dog, or driving in your car. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com backslash next listen.